to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. All right, so today we're going to be in um, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 through 10. We're almost to the end of this book, this letter. Um, Sankey will be wrapping it up next week. So um, these are the final exhortations and uh Sankey's been asking us these two questions through this letter. It says, how can I be captivated by the Jesus of the cross when I'm obsessed with pride, self-seeking, and comfort? What implications does that truth have on me loving Christ and making him known to others? God's, um, there's themes here, two themes that we've seen in this book says God's paradigm is not your own. God uses weakness in us to show forth his own glory and power. Oftentimes the way we think and operate is not the way God operates. Identification with Christ has produced suffering, weakness, which in turn leads to life and salvation for others. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for this opportunity just to look into your word once more today. That we need your word to guide us, to direct our path, God. God, just as we sang that last song, there's name in your power power in your name and yours alone, Christ Jesus. And I just pray, God, that that is what we are left with today. And more awe of you, that there is power, salvation that only comes in you. You came down from heaven paid the price that we deserve. So God, we are here to worship you, to love you. Would you change us? May we be sensitive to your spirit in conviction that leads us to repentance and renewal, joy and peace. May it rule in our hearts in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read this passage. We're going to 2 Corinthians 13, starting here, verse 1. This is the third time I'm coming to you. 
Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sin before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. So let's dive into this. So here we see... This is the third time that I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. We see here in verse 1 that he's quoting out of the Old Testament from Deuteronomy 19.15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. So he quotes directly out of Deuteronomy. Paul has seen, experienced some of these sins. And he's even sent some of his crew to visit and to test um, to see if this is true. But there are also believers inside the church who have been desiring change and transformation, a healthy body of Christ. So the evidence and the witness is there. So Paul is basically saying here that this, this is it. We have some serious issues that must be dealt with. It's loving to address this once more. Wouldn't it be best, like think, of, think about this, wouldn't it be best, Paul is saying, if you dealt with these sins before it's too late? It's kind of like a parent and a child, right? And a parent's pleading and sees a pattern of sin in a child's life, right? And they're saying, what, don't you want to obey? Don't you want to choose good before it's too late, before there's serious discipline? So let's notice here. So just kind of let's notice just Paul's posture 
in the text. Paul's posture isn't harsh with intimidation. It's been ongoing grace, patience, and long-suffering. He isn't using intimidation, fear, or guilt, but love, logic, and reason. He's using and living the gospel. It's the gospel that has the power to change people, right? We even see that in Romans 1, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I think sometimes when we read the scriptures, especially the scriptures when dealing with soul care or dealing with sin issues, we can read into the scriptures very easily our way of thinking, or our way of living. We can walk away with a checklist, or in this case, a three-step process, right? It's like, I've shown patience once. I've shown grace, kindness twice. Now, after this third time, (laughs) but we don't see that at all with Paul's posture. When we do this to the Scriptures, we can really miss the point of the real message that's being portrayed. Here's what I mean by this in the text. Many, in this text and in many others, there's no time frame given, right? And that's what I mean by sometimes our way of living or our way of thinking. We sometimes think a lot in time, Right? But he doesn't go, in the first month I came to you, the second month, and my God, this is the third month, right? He doesn't do that at all. So we need to just be aware of the tendencies of our hearts and how we think things should go and the conclusions that we come to and say this or that is biblical, Paul is aware that when there is sin, when there is sin in people's lives, sin in our church, when there's sin in your community, when there's sin in our nation, that most people are reluctant, right? Or very slow to confess their sin. And then repent and turn away from sin. And then use the resources that are available to them in Christ. But Paul is prepared to use all of his apostolic authority to bring these matters to a Christ-honoring conclusion, but he doesn't start with there. He doesn't start with that. I think this is some real evidence of sanctification, something to learn from. We look at Paul as a hero of the faith, don't we, oftentimes? One that was used greatly. And so it's easy to think that in sanctification, that he must have been really sanctified. Paul was, right? And I'm just not quite there like Paul. There's probably some truths to that, right? But it's easy to start looking at sanctification kind of like this. 
that Paul probably didn't need Jesus as much as I do, or I'm saved, I'm good, sanctification, right? Like, I've been saved, I'm good, I'm obedient, I pray, I read, I go to church. Those people, they really need to be sanctified. They need the gospel. As if we've somehow graduated past the need of the gospel. But sanctification is not becoming more like Christ, so therefore you need less of him. Sanctification is being more like Christ, knowing you need more of him. I'm going to say that again. Sanctification is not becoming more like Christ, because that's the process of sanctification, right? Becoming more like Christ. So then therefore we don't need as much of him. Sanctification is becoming more like Christ, knowing you need more of him. It's, we, we see this in the Beatitudes, right? Like we've, we preach through this as blessed and poor, or poor in spirit, right? And Sankey, he always did this, right? He bends down and it's, it's this picture of this beggar, right? That has nothing. It's begging. So it's this, this heart's posture of a desperate, humbled beggar that I have nothing to bring to the table. At the same time of humbleness in this way, it's also humbleness in this way of a joyous, thankful receiver. You didn't deserve it. You recognize that it was given to you. And you're humbled. Your heart's posture isn't, I think I'm doing pretty good. Your heart's posture is humbled in receiving what God has given to you. Let's go back to the text here. Verses 3 So since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. The people he's addressing here, they're seeking an evidence, right? They're like, why should we believe you, Paul? Who are you? What gives you the authority? Right, And that's what we've dealt with through this text is there's these super apostles that have kind of rose up and kind of have this heart's posture of, who's Paul? You know, he always comes in the form of weakness. and So they're critics, right? They're asking, prove it. Skeptics. Asking for proof. So what proof did Paul use? What proof do you use? 
when asked, why? Why believe this message of the gospel? I want to suggest something here to you that it's possible that verse 3 and verse 5 are connected. They go together. Look at the proof he uses. He reminds them of the gospel, verse 4, and then asking a question, verse 5. He doesn't go into, let me prove myself. Remember in later chapters, or earlier chapters, he says, I could boast about being taken up into heaven or my faithfulness in all these trials, right? But he says, I'm speaking as a foolish man. Remember? Remember those passages? So instead, verse 5, he is using their salvation as proof pointing to the fact that when I first come to you, when I brought the gospel to you, did it in fact change you? That's the question he's asking. That's the proof he's using, the gospel. He's not using his abilities, his accolades or the services or faithfulness. He's using the gospel. This message you didn't have that I brought to you, did you not believe it? Were you not hopeless and found hope? Were you not restless and anxious, but found peace? Were you not wretched and sinful, but washed clean? Isn't this what the gospel does? Did you not believe that he was your sacrificial substitute? That he took the penalty that you deserve? So listen to this. A guy named Roy Lauren writes, The gospel possesses a power that rests in Christ. The power of Christ becomes power in the Christian. It is the power of life and death, for it speaks of Christ dying by crucifixion and living by resurrection. The crucifixion was in weakness. The resurrection was in power, he writes. So do you believe this? Church of Corinth, do you believe this? Church of Sojourn here today? Are you turning away from the gospel? Paul's asking. I don't believe that Paul is asking here in this question in a way for them to look within themselves to see if they are doing these things or not doing these things for evidence of salvation. Because that's not at all how we find evidence of salvation, right? Do's or don'ts. It comes in receiving a gift from God. So if this is the way, if this is what Paul was asking, I think this would be a way to create discouragement or despair of never doing enough or pride that I am doing enough. So Paul is not asking them to engage in self-examination for a proof of their salvation. He's actually asking them to find in their own salvation 
a proof of his apostolic calling that Christ was speaking and using him to deliver a message that they did not have for salvation. And then therefore said that they received it. They believed. I want to read um, out of the King James Version. Here, the end of verse 5, it says, I'll, I'll read the whole verse again. It says, Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves? How that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate, reprobates? He is saying, take the test, Corinthian church. Take the test, Sojourn church. It's a multiple choice question. There's only two possible answers. You're either saved meaning Jesus Christ is in you, or you are reprobate, not saved, a fake. Simply put, Jesus is in you, or Jesus is not in you. Reprobate was a word, it was used in testing metals. When they'd forge metals, they would test them, they would either condemn it, it was reprobate. It was no good. It was, didn't meet the test. It wasn't real or authentic. It was a fake copycat, right? Think of it like this. If you received a gold coin, had it tested, and found out it was only gold-plated, but everything on the inside was just copper, it's not real. It's not valuable. As It's not worth what you thought. So take the test, church. Ask the question. Are you saved? To, to the, the answer to the question is yes or no. So if the answer is yes, then going back to Verse 3, that's where I was saying the connection is, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is pointing them back to the gospel. You can see here in how he is presenting it that he expects the answer to be yes, right? Well, of course we're Christians, Paul. Then he's asking, isn't that proof? I mean, just think about it, right? We live in a place where if you ask 10 people if they're Christian or if they're saved, what's the answer you're going to get? Nine out of 10 probably would say, yes, of course I'm saved. Why are you even asking? Should we ask the question? Should we ask ourselves the question? Let's look again here at verse 5. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves? Three times he says yourselves. You could also read it again like examine you, yourself. 
to see whether you are in the faith. Test you, yourself. Do you not realize this about you, yourself? So what's the proper place in self-examination? Who can really know whether Christ is living inside someone or not? You, yourself. It's an objective test. It's like someone asking while pointing at a dog, what is that? It's an objective answer. It's a dog. It's a cat. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I want you to remember something here too. It isn't some feeling that we look inside of your heart or test in whether you go to church, read your Bible, and are establishing the do's and don'ts, even though we should do those things, right? But that's not the question. That's not how we find the answer to the question. Paul is simply objectively asking the question, have you ever come to a place in your life where you have considered the message claims of Christ and that you consciously have recognized who you are and who Christ is and have made the decision to turn from sin, turn away from your efforts and doing better and have received what Christ has done in your place. You've received his offer of hope and experienced life and love. That's the gospel message. I mean, think about it. What, what does this world have to offer in telling you, telling somebody who is hopeless, well, be happier, try harder, do better. That does not provide hope. So it's saying here, Paul is saying, examine yourselves, church, in such a way that you can come to a competent conclusion, a full confidence, a deep knowledge and understanding that are you absolutely certain that Jesus lives inside your heart? The assurance of a believer. He's pointing them back to that. Did I not come to you, bring the message of hope to you, and you received it? But he ends it by saying, unless you fail the test. So his assumption is everybody's going to answer the question, yes, I'm a Christian, right? I'm a, yeah, I'm saved. What if you ask yourself the question and you fail the test? 
then what? Well, the answer is simple. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Trust, believe in Christ. It's a message of hope and restoration. This is Paul's intent. It's not at all to get you to recognize only a posture of, I'm never going to measure up, right? I'm never going to do enough. If we are preaching a gospel, which we should preach a gospel that identifies sin in, in people's life, right? That it's calling people to turn away from something and turn to Christ. But if we only preach a gospel, a message that is, you're a sinner, and we never point them to a Savior, then we may have gotten off on the gospel. And guys, I, I am guilty of this. As far as the prosperity gospel, it's easy to recognize those things. It's easy to see where that's not a true gospel. But in your practical daily living, in your life, it's easy to fall into operating that way. Is you see sin and you either put yourself in a timeout till you can be more obedient, prove yourself back to God. That is a false gospel. So this is a message of hope. So just like that song we sang, there's power in his name. Do you believe that? I think we do, but I also know we've got to remind ourselves of that. And I know that's why we're here today. Let's go back to the text here and read. Starting in six, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may, know, may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right. Though we may seem to have failed. It, he's, he's not in any way trying to put himself in a position for them to believe him at his word. Just, just believe me. He's pointing them to the gospel. Because remember that the gospel is the only thing that can save Christ It's not about Paul being right here. It's not about us being right. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. 
for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. That's kind of a hard one for me. I'm glad oftentimes when people receive grace. I want people to receive the grace of God. But sometimes when I feel like I've played by all the rules and it, I don't really feel like God is holding up His end of the bargain, it's easy to fall into that false gospel, the idea of what am I really, what gospel am I really believing and living? And that idea of do I, did I just believe God for his things, for heaven? Get out of jail free card. But oh man, I love you, God. I love you, God. But really, I'm living a course on a course for myself. But Paul here, he's. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Like I said, I'm thankful when the gospel message takes root in someone's soul, but when they don't start living the life that I feel like they should live, but somehow they are benefiting more than I feel like I'm benefiting, sometimes is a true test of what gospel you're believing in. Guys, we live in a place where the gospel is a buzzword that is just said. Can we distinguish and identify the true gospel? Can you see that in your life? In your heart? says, your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you. See, it's a message of hope. Paul's coming to the church once again with grace. Receive the grace while you can. <laughs> it's a message of hope. He's not in any way coming heavy-handed with, I'm an apostle. Repent. Or we're going to do away with you. I've come to you once. I've come to you twice. This is the third time. Not at all. Grace. He's presenting. He's living out the gospel, pointing them to Christ. Receive this grace while you can. But for the love of the church, he is ready and willing to do the most loving thing for them as well as the other sheep. To come in with church discipline. For 
For this reason, I write these things that while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. The thing that I think we should get from this passage today is one, have we received God's grace, the gift of salvation? And like Paul here, many of us would answer the question, yes. But are we aware of our heart's tendencies that we're prone to wander, to leave the God we love and move away from the gospel to trusting in our own ability and our efforts? The second thing that I hope we see in this passage is the way Paul deals with the church. The the way that we should deal with one another. Grace, presenting a message of hope and restoration. That we're long-suffering, patient. That we're aware of our heart's tendencies, our life's patterns, to be quick to make a decision, to assume that we have the more biblical approach instead of leading with grace. There's, remember, there's no time frame given here. So I hope as believers here today, we are encouraged that we have the peace of God ruling in our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But if you're sitting here contemplating the question, the test, asking yourself, looking within, have I received this gift from God? Or have I been working towards that earning salvation and not finding hope, not finding peace? Then know that you can turn today, that His grace has been extended today. And that he is long-suffering and doesn't expect you to be perfect from that moment. That he lashed his son, pierced his son for the sins that you've committed and will continue to commit. So look to Christ and find hope. Let us pray. God, I thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the opportunity to dive in to this section. And I, I pray, God, for those listening today would take some time to dive more into this passage, to contemplate the gospel message that has come. That it would change our hearts, God, that we would have a posture of the needy beggar, sinful and dirty, undeserving, wretched, but looking up with a posture of receiving the gift of salvation that comes in your Son, Christ Jesus. Believing that you have left your Spirit to guide us, to convict us, to bring us to repentance, to give us renewal, I thank you, God, for providing the only hope. May souls be encouraged today. May they glorify your name. Sing praises. Sing loud. Not only in word, but in deed. For your name's sake. Amen. Amen.